Hey guys! Welcome to a very special episode of the A-List, uh, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals hmm, how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at Damasimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. And today, I'm the guest because uh, we have Lauren Slaff in the studio to interview me. Apparently. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to trade seats with you, Tom Grossman. Yeah. Uh, I feel I feel very lucky to be to be able to to dive into the nuances of your personal and business life. It's going to be crazy, but first you have to do the ad for our sponsor. It's right there. But I am the your sponsor. Paragraph. Am I, I know allowed you got to read it. To do that? Yeah, read it with uh, gusto. Well, everybody, <laughs> the A list is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. Ad Age, Once Upon a Time. Yeah, I don't want to add that in. Called Ad House, New York's newest, smartest, and arguably hippest ad school. Our philosophy, an ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. It's a deal. It's a dealio. To apply, go to www.adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow Adhouse NYC on Facebook. You can also follow our special guest today, mm-hmm. Tom Chrisman, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And check out DeMassimo Goldstein at www.digobrands. That's D I G O <laughs> brands.com. And uh, a big thanks, Yeah. in case we don't always thank them. We don't always thank them. We don't them. always thank them, but to, today it feels very important for, for me and for Ad House and, uh, yeah. you know, everyone out there listening to thank, uh, to thank Gramercy Post in New York City, who, yeah. who records this wonderful podcast and hosts us on a semi-regular basis yep. in, in their incredible space. So thank you, Gramercy Post. Thank you, Gramercy Post. Matt Stillo. One of the great, he's, he's cringing as I clap. Anytime, Tom, anytime. Well, where shall we begin? I'm gonna I'm gonna begin with a question that I think is is your signature starting question because mm-hmm. you know you really you're you're our grand poobah. So in your honor, I'm gonna ask you, where did you grow up? Ah, oh, I don't remember. No, I grew up in Union, New Jersey. Uh, not Union City, Union Township, New Jersey, which uh, used to be called Connecticut Farms back in the 1700s, and and it was uh, the scene of the Battle of Connecticut Farms. But that was before I was born. Just just a few years. Just a few years before I was born. Uh, and so Union, New Jersey, uh, blue-collar town, uh, Italian, Irish, German, you know, kind of uh, your, your mix uh, blue-collar town, went to public school. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, what did your What did your folks do? My mom worked at, uh, I believe, uh, Prudential in Newark. She was a receptionist, and my dad had a series of jobs. He was a he was a used car salesman. Wow, that is uh, too good. Was, he worked at a blinds store. They sold, you know, Venetian blinds. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't accessories for the blind. No, but they had on the back of their van uh, a thing that said uh, "caution: blind, blind man driving." So was that what inspired you to get into advertising? Well, he 
uh, was also a uh, an artist, and he would uh, draw and and paint and uh, airbrush, uh, and he had a t-shirt business uh, later where he would silkscreen t-shirts for local businesses, and it was always funny drawings of the person who ran the business. He was very good at caricatures and. Um, and he also had a, an auto body shop where he would paint vans. So in the 70s, everybody had their van tricked out and painted well, uh, with like Conan the Barbarian. Or um, So my dad called himself Mongo and he painted these vans. Um, and I was there and watched all of that happen, probably breathing in way too many fumes. But uh, that's where my love of, you know, Art and uh, and also just this pop culture uh, came from. I think. So and did you did you know when you were a kid that this was what you want? You saw yourself doing at least in in some peripheral way. I loved to draw and I loved to write stories and I loved TV um, and games and I was just. Um, so you weren't one of those families that didn't own a TV. No, no, we always owned a TV. That was the one and thing had we always on. had. And we always had cable and we always had all the channels. Uh, even if we didn't have uh, electricity <laughs> or a phone, <laughs> we would always have all the channels. Um, but uh, I, you know, in high school, I got tracked, which I didn't realize I was being tracked, but I got tracked into, you know, there were some kids that went to auto body and some kids that went to wood shop and I got tracked into commercial art. So I was doing in high school, the last two years of high school, I was doing three periods of commercial art, which was basically just graphic art, graphic design, uh, package design. Uh, How and fantastic. What a unique high school experience. Yeah, it was, it was a, I think, pretty progressive high school in the fact that it kind of you know, even though some of the kids went to auto body, it was like basically the school, you know, saying you're going to be a mechanic and that's it, you know, and, and I was you're going to be in art and that's it. Um, so hmm. I took English, history, gym, Spanish and three periods of, you know, I, I didn't do the calculus and all that stuff that the other kids were doing. I was not being groomed for uh, Harvard. So, um, getting out of that room for Madison Avenue. Uh, I didn't know it, but, uh, I didn't, didn't quite know about advertising and that was a thing. Um, so I went to school at FIT because, uh, Fashion Institute of Technology, sure. because it was cheap. Uh, it's a SUNY school. That answers my question as yeah. to why, yeah. why Fashion Institute when, yeah. when your dream or at least your pursuit was commercial art. Yeah. I think I applied to Boston University as well, but I don't know why. We wouldn't have had the money to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but my mother got all the Pell Grants and all those things worked out. And then I went into the city with my dad and my portfolio. He had to show a portfolio to get into FIT. Uh, and we went to the portfolio review and, you know, they accepted me. So that was cool. Four years of, of that. And uh, that was great because... We were in the city, so we were close to, you know, uh, Art Directors Club and the One Club. So I would, you know, our teachers would all tell us about these things. And I was in this small group of people 
that took it really seriously and really, we really wanted to be in advertising. Well, um, you were, when we met, Tom, yeah. I was a headhunter for creatives and you had just graduated from FIT. Yeah. And you did graduate with this unique group of students because mm-hmm. truthfully, before that and after that, you didn't hear much about FIT graduates in the advertising world. No. What was what was going on at FIT at that time that that helped create this momentum for this group of now fairly, really successful advertising professionals. Yeah, there's a there's a few of us that went to that year. But yeah, after that, I've met people that are in the business that have gone there, um, but not a lot. So uh, a, I don't know. I don't know what that was. Was there a particular teacher that... Um, Fra- Frank like, Choka... Yeah. Wasn't, was, was wasn't there? Jeff Weiss? Oh, right. Yeah, well, he didn't teach for, F- for FIT. Jeff Weiss. Uh, but, so the the way we hooked up with Jeff Weiss was we went uh, to, like, this little group of, of, of crazies that were, like, we were almost, like, fanboys and girls for, you know, the Gary Goldsmiths. and the So whenever we heard somebody was going to be at the Art Directors Club speaking, right. we would go and be, like, crazy lunatics. We would you know, rush them after the thing and be like, hey, can we come to your agency and talk to you and show you our portfolios? So Jeff Weiss was speaking at one of these things. I think it was the Art Directors Club, which it was on Park Avenue at the time. Uh, And we went and we rushed him after the thing and we said, hey, can we come by? He's like, yeah, I'm thinking about teaching a class, you know, like maybe you guys want to come over to my agency. And we were like, yes, what yes. time? Can we come now? Yeah. And uh, I think it was Wednesday nights and he was like, yeah, just come by, you know, I don't know, six and we'll just like, we'll hang out, we'll smoke some weed. We'll, you know, it's like, like we were just like, yes, all of that. Did, did, you, know. did you smoke the weed with him? I did him? not smoke weed with Jeff Weiss, no. All but right. I did hear him over the intercom once say, uh, if anybody has any rolling papers, please come to my office. So uh, we, we wow, ran that's in there. so that's yeah. so hip ad guy. So Nineteen ninety two stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, he was just he was so passionate about uh, how like the art uh, it had to look like the brand, it had to feel like the brand. Everything about it should be the brand. He would give us assignments for like you know. I think it was like Heinz hot ketchup, you know, and just like make it look hot, you know, it needs to. Which was uh, a real breath into what the future of of how people looked at the creative side of advertising would be. Yeah. It went from how funny can your line be to what really is the brand. Now, for yeah. those of you who don't know, Jeff Weiss was the creative director and a partner at uh, a lovely small agency, Margiotis for Tita and Weiss, yeah. that I don't think— Was it 411 Lafayette? It's not there anymore. It was a great location by the Blue Man Group. Yes, yes. Um, and, yeah, he was he was somewhat of a pioneer at that time in the business. Mm-hmm. And he just sparked us, and we were— uh, I think Evan Silver got an internship there through that. Uh, I think uh, Bruce Goldstein also got some work through that. Um, yeah, we were all just we were all sort of trying to get these jobs, and whenever one of us would get the internship, uh, you know, the rest of us would be like, "Ah, I wanted that." A little um, resentment. I was always sort of on the outside of that. First of all, I lived in New Jersey, so I had to commute mm. in. Everybody else lived in the in the dorms, so they were all just like, "Yeah, I'll come here on Saturday." And, I'll, and I had a job for at you. Shop you right. needed to take six trains. The yeah, path. yeah, I had to drive to Elizabeth and take oh, a you train. Had a job at Shoprite. 
I had a job at Shoprite still. Uh, I was a was a cashier, um, and uh, so I could I I never quite got uh, the jobs. Uh, Joanna Devonzo got a job at DDB DMB and B, working for Pat Peduto. Uh Jay Gaborio got a job at Gary Goldsmith, uh, Goldsmith Jeffrey. The, the, um, one of the original founders of Ad House. Yes. My former business that's right, partner. That's right. Uh, and so I was sort of like that that last summer, um, really, really depressed because like I couldn't get a job. And um, there were and it was 1992. Um, and if you go back into the history books, uh, you'll see that there was um, a depression, a, re- a recession then. Um, it felt like a depression to me. Uh, oh, they're not going to put that there in were the history no, books. There were no jobs. <laughs> and uh, we were at war in Iraq, the first war. Um, and yeah, so I ended up getting, uh, I was showing you my book. It was terrible. I don't know. Was, can you remember it, any of it? I, I don't know. It was, there I was just, a big I'm, I'm lighter, sorry. there was a big lighter campaign where I, uh, where I wrote in the, in the, um, in the voice of the big lighter. <laughs> I'll bet that sales would have boosted tremendously <laughs> exactly, for Bic Lighters. Those print yeah. ads for Bic, Bic Tom, Lighters are all over the place. you did not have – you did not come terrible. out of school with the best junior book. No, it was terrible. But – And uh, I had bad hair. So well, that, I fixed that. <laughs> well, now you have no hair. Fix that right up. Yeah, for you people And look at listening. how well it worked out. I know. Yeah. So you're you're out of school. Mm-hmm. You have a terrible book. Mm-hmm. You're working at Shoprite and commuting at from New Jersey, which yeah. just did. This is all very depressing. Yeah. But at some point, something changed. Yeah. And and something provoked you to, I imagine, improve your portfolio. I got. Uh, well, I was just going. I was just going as much as possible to as many places as possible, dropping off my book, and they were physical books back then. Uh, and then, and for um, those of you who don't know what we mean when we say book, yeah, it means portfolio. Yes. And we actually, back in the golden era of advertising, carried around large black portfolio cases filled with pieces of paper. Yes. Fake ads. That you actually spent a lot of money printing and laminating. (laughs) And what was what what was the what was the laminate that that only the best people had? I don't remember that. What what was but what was what was Well we had we had velvet on the back. Right. So that they didn't scratch. Exactly. So if Um, you were really on top of it, you had velvet velvet backing, plastic laminate in a case that you had to drag around. It was like 50 pounds. It was so heavy. Uh, And yeah, you had to bring it. And and you had to have more than one because a lot of times you drop it off like at Deutsch. They'll keep it for uh, they months. They kept it for a long time, and they'd be like, oh, we didn't look at it yet. And then you didn't want to pick it up when they hadn't looked at it yet. So you're like, okay, I'll leave it. Um, so you had to have several. Some people had little mini books that in case, like, they really needed one quick that they would carry around in their bag. Um, so, yeah, you had these, all these things that you could do. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the laminate place, but there was one place where everybody Where everybody went, went for their laminate. Uh, and... 
I th- what was the change? Who was the person? And I'm totally blanking on who the person was. And she ends up working at BBDO. Who was the recruiter for BBDO? Monica Buchanan. Yeah. So Monica Buchanan. Why, how could I forget Monica Buchanan? I don't. I don't so know. Monica Buchanan uh, was uh, one of the people I used as a headhunter, and and I think you you had said, you know, no, I don't think it's very good. Uh, Danny Lennon was like, absolutely not. Get out of here. Uh, <laughs> you are not a maverick. And, uh, and yeah, Monica Buchanan, had, where was she working before BBDO? Where did she? Yeah, she did have a brief stint as a headhunter, and I can't remember the name of the company because they no longer exist. But she had such a long yeah. career at BBDO, I, I can't remember. But either way, so she, what it, did she tell you you she, needed to do something? She told me that I was a writer. She thought I was a writer, <gasps> and I was trying to get art director jobs. So, And all my other friends had gotten these art director jobs. So I said, yeah, maybe. And she's like, there's an opening at Ogilvy & Mather Direct on the American Express Group. And I was immediately like, I can't believe you're even talking to me about a, di- a job in direct. And can like, you tell for our younger viewers, yeah. since we don't really use that phrase, that phrase direct. anymore. It's a, not even called that anymore. Everything is direct. It's Ogilvy One now. Yeah. Right. What 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 does um, direct mean and what does it mean so to direct, you as someone looking for a job? You still get it. It's the stuff that you get in the mail. Uh, mailers. Mailers. Uh, there's letters. a number for those letters, number, uh, number six letters yeah, or something. And, you know, they have a, a – sometimes they'll have a Johnson box on top, which is a, which was a famous innovation by a man named Johnson where you put a box on the top that basically encapsulates the offer and the le- – you know, it's a it's a – it's a way of shortening what you need to read. It's what it's what one eventually became technology. It became it became a uh, banner. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I was like I don't want to write direct mail, and you know, but I, why? Because it was it was just not it wasn't very glamorous. Wasn't very glamorous, or and I don't think I had written more than a page of copy in my life. Because in your mind, and and in everyone's minds, and in your studies, you were an art director. Yes, I was so going to be. Knew, I was you knew a lot about fonts. I was going to be a graphic designer. Yes, mm. um, but I was terrible at graphic design, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Yet and somehow so, you continued to pursue it. Yes, yes, that's all I had. Um, so I had to – they were like, well, we love his portfolio, but can he write? So I had to come up with something. So I basically made um, a brochure about myself that was – I used Calvin and Hobbes because they were available and I could just, you know, trace them and do them on the on the page. And I, I basically made a handmade um, uh, mailer that – said, is Tom Christman an art director or a copywriter? It opened up and it had a big timeline from like, well, this is his potato people period when I was drawing, you know, big <laughs> potato people. Is He wrote his first joke at, you know, whatever. And now, uh, so it ends up being that the answer is he's both and you should hire him uh, because you're getting your money's worth. He can do both. He and, can. And, and, he can art and direct. Did and he this, can write. Did this do the trick? Absolutely, it worked. Um, now, do you I got recommend 100% people, response. Do you recommend <laughs> it from the one agency? Yes. Now, do you do you think that that is a, a self promotion piece like that would be helpful now for 
yeah. creatives I, looking to make an impact on on potential employers? I think it showed a lot of things. It showed that I really wanted the job, that I was able to like quickly put this thing together. That was fast. Uh, it showed that I had sense of humor because the way it was written. Because who could tell? Uh, and it um, it also showed that I was thinking about my audience because I knew what the problem was and I went at it directly. So yeah, I think um, if you get a responsive no from somebody, then just figure out why and keep coming, keep coming at it. And, figure out and why. Don't give up. Figure out why it's a no. It's not about you failed. It's about you just didn't fulfill the obligations, and then just go back and do it. Um, so yeah, I think making things is the best way, and and stick-to-itiveness and not taking no for an answer and just kind of. So keep so going. through this method, you acquired this job that you were probably quite happy to have, but maybe didn't want to keep. Yeah, I I spent two years there because, um, you know, once you have a job, it's like okay, I have a job, I'm getting paid. It's kind of cool. Did you did you move um, out of your out of your parents? Finally moved out of my parents. Uh, Quit the shop, to, right? To Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, I was roommates with Jason Gaborio, um, and lived on First and Willow, um, and it was great. It was fun, and it was uh, it was a great time to be in the city. It was still sort of like the, you know, it was the, still the scary, a little bit scary city uh, in the early 90s. Um, but I always before wanted to Giuliani work at- cleaned, Yeah, before it cleaned before it right she, up. It's still Dinkins. Um, oh, so uh, so we, uh, so I wanted to work in the cool places though, still. So well, I would use, I would use uh, the technology that we had at Ogilvy Direct because we were, it was one of the biggest agencies uh, in the world. Uh, we had all these printers and, uh, font libraries and, you know, at the time there was no internet yet. So it was, it was kind of, um, I had to get everything I you needed. Had I had to get pieces. it there. I had to create it, you know. And you had um, Willy Wonka's chocolate room yeah. of, of 1990s technology. Yeah. So I built, I rebuilt my portfolio and I kept working at it. Uh, my partner was Tom Dramalski. Uh, who is still in the business? I think lovely human I think being. He's at Publicis. Uh, great, great guy. Um, we were both young and just kind of like both of us kind of wanted to be at the cooler places. Um, in fact, we uh, he got a job at Kirschenbaum, and they working for Mark Demasimo. Working for Mark Demasimo, uh, and then he. As soon as he got that job, or when he was getting the job, he uh, turned to me and said, "Hey, they need they need writers. Do you want to go there too?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> so um, so we did. So he uh, got me that gig. So you know, one thing leads to another. You just keep telling people what you want in life and working hard, and it all works out. When so so you went from the big direct agency to the cool direct agency or the direct agency in the cool agency. Yes. So the, the then, job at Kirschenbaum was a direct writer job. But th these were all stepping stones to when when you as as the Tom Chrisman you are now had arrived. When when did you realize if you had yeah. that that you had arrived, that you were 
you know, you you were a a force to be reckoned with in the business. And and as I remember, everybody was mentioning your name. Everybody wanted to get in to see you. Everybody wanted to work with you. Yeah, I don't know when that happened. I just know uh, at at Kirshenbaum, the job was a in a in worth working with Mark DeMassimo in the direct group, which was uh, we had Blimpy. <laughs> uh, we had a Citibank student card. We had um, a couple other uh, brands. But it wasn't a big group, but it was a, a really like they were trying to make more money, right? They were trying to, they said, well, direct is going to be the future. Uh, direct response is going to be something we should have. So let's, let's hire that. But when I got there, uh, Richard, I had to meet Richard, and Richard is very That's cool. Richard Kirschenbaum. Richard Kirschenbaum was one of the, you know, quote, bad boys of advertising, and he was super cool and had long flowing hair and was just very uh, New York City. And, you know, I was Indeed. very intimidated to meet him. So uh, I had really bad hair at the time and, and kind of kind of mullety, like long brown yeah, you guys Big. don't. You guys don't want to picture this. No, it was awful. Uh, and so, but when I would start to sweat under that mop, I, I had brushed it over because I was balding. So, so I couldn't really mess with it. So uh, I get into Richard's office and I'm sweating so badly, and it just goes horribly wrong. And um, the uh, Leslie K had been my headhunter then. Right, my, my, my uh, so, co-worker at so the I'd time. So I go through this this meeting and uh, and he, his first question is, so tell me about yourself. That That's when I started sweating because I was like, I have no answer to that. What do I say? So I go through my my whole like, well, I, I interned at Deutsch and, and I and I did uh, I did a little thing. At, I've done two years at Ogilvy Direct and I, uh, 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 Jeff Weiss, you know, all this stuff. And I start to sweat because I can hear myself just going through my resume. And that's not interesting. That's not probably what he was, what he was hoping. Yeah. Or and at he least was hoping in your mind, he like, was hoping well, to hear for. I'm a, I've been writing, you know, sonnets for two years. That would have been a better answer, right? Well, that's, so, that's uh, an unusually vague question for Richard Kirschenbaum. He was the, what, if you were a cookie, what kind of cookie would you be? Uh, he Interviewer. may have asked me that too. I don't know. He may have asked me what kind of car I'd be. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it went bad. And then I left and I told myself, like, ah, you think it went bad, but it didn't. And I got a call. Uh, I called uh, Leslie Kay. There were no cell phones. So I had to call Leslie Kay. And she goes, were you, were you, uh, were you uh, really nervous? And I was like, why would you ask me that? Well, I heard you were really nervous. <laughs> and and there was like, a pool of sweat. And I was just like, oh, really? Ah, oh. and it like I almost didn't get the job, but Mark DeMassimo really wanted me to work there, and I was like, "Look, Mark, I really screwed up that interview. I was so nervous, and I started sweating, and it was bad." And Mark was like, "All right, let me go talk to him." And he goes back and he talks to him, and uh, Richard had me come back in, and I was like, "Okay, he's having me come back in," so I shaved my head. Are you serious? Yeah. That's, that, was, that was the pivotal yeah. hair point? I'm like, this hair is getting in my way. Wow. Uh, and I go and I shave my head in Hoboken. And the guy who shaved my head was like 80 years old and his hands were shaking. And I had never had my head shaved before. So I'm like, is he going to cut my head? Did you go in with scabs on your and head? He, no, he was just okay. talking about 
Frank Sinatra, it's a whole other story. Oh, that's lovely. Um, he knew Frank Sinatra. What an asshole! Anyway, um, remember when I talked about Frank Sinatra and said, what an asshole? So uh, so I got my, I shaved my head to go back in, and I get back there, and, uh, and I'm ready for him, but still I'm nervous. And he's like, all right, I just called you back in here because you, you got the job, but I want to tell you, you will always be direct. This is not a stepping stone to general. I need to tell you that. And I'm like, okay, awesome. Like, I don't, I don't care. What, like, were, you, what like, were you going to say Something inside me was like, you know, if I had a terrible ego and I, and I would have been like, well, let me tell you. Like, I could have gone through that, but I didn't. I just said, okay, awesome. Let's do it. And so I got the job. It was making more money than I had ever thought I'd make. You know, it was like $31,500 a year. <laughs> I think that's more than, than uh, probably Richard ever paid to a, yeah, to a person at yeah, that level. Yeah, and, uh, and Or maybe it was 35000 I don't know. It was, it was a lot. And uh, I was like, okay, let's do it. And then uh, I took the job, and it was six years that I was there. And in that time, uh, Mark left to start this age, uh, Damasimo Goldstein, and um, I kind of grew up into being uh, good at advertising, general advertising. And I did move into general advertising. In did that. Richard ever acknowledge that uh, that day when he said, you will never yeah, yeah. move I, into I general? Don't, I, don't, I think he wouldn't even remember. But, Probably. You know, he was just he just didn't want me but to have you did. he didn't want to have a problem on his hands where I was always trying to like show him your book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just as I an aside, it. Richard was the the first person who I showed a portfolio to. Wow. He was my cousin's best friend in college and I came out of school with what I call the portfolio of nothing, <laughs> which was, you know, Crap yeah. from from a school that I wasn't in advertising, and yeah. so I showed up with drawings and <laughs> and posters, and he immediately directed me to take classes. Right. Um. And and I think I was sweating too. He scared the crap out of me. Yeah, he was scary. He's an intimidating guy. I think he had a picture of himself with Andy Warhol on his desk. Yes, he did, and he had a bunch of lunch boxes on the wall, which Indeed. was also uh, kind of cool. But and, you, yeah. you 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 know. You proved him wrong. I survived. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great place. It was full of really smart people. Um, Risa Mickenberg. Um, uh, who else? Bill Oberlander, of course, uh, was was the creative director there. Uh, so many great people. Um, Tom Kuntz, who's now a director, and was Mike there. McGuire Mike McGuire. They were kind of like the cool team. Um, no, Tim Godsell was incredible there. Incredible people um, started there, and yeah. you know, at that time, that was the, the place to yeah, be. That was the, the hip, brash, new, yeah. yeah, voice of advertising. Yep, and uh, so I went through a couple of uh, uh, partners there. Jeff Curry came in; he was my partner for a long time um, before he left. And I stayed on, and I got a new partner, uh, Josh Kilmer Purcell, uh, and we end up doing a campaign for a thing called FreeAgent.com. Um, so I just kept, I just kept doing things until we got the opportunities, and I would always try. Uh, and 
Well, why the heck and, did you leave? Uh, so after six years, it's a it's a, a different place, right? And um, it was getting bigger, and it was the year two thousand, and everything was sort of changing. The internet was becoming a thing, um, and uh, Josh and I got an offer to go work at Shaite, uh, where you know I was like, let me try a bigger place. Um, working on Absolute and um, what else do we work so on? So they, they, they were TBWA shy at day by TBWA then. TBWA shy at day. Uh, and yeah, so we, we said, let's try that. And we both left. Uh, and I think Bill Oberlander left, was fired like the next week. Uh, so the whole place because completely changed. Yeah, totally. Because we left. Um, and uh, so the whole place completely changed, and I think got worse after that um, because it just got it got big, it got really big. So it's hard to keep something good. Well, you were re you really, really were there during during the heyday, during I the was pinnacle there, point for that agency, yeah. which obviously influenced your career. Yeah, it was it was a great place to learn to be uh, to be confident in the way that you present, uh, to be collaborative because we would have. Um, you know, uh, Barry Lowenthal from media would be in the in the internals. Um, uh, PR would be in the internals. Uh, everybody in every department would sit in the internals, even if they didn't have something in there so that they could add to and, you know, give some flavor to Which the idea. Which is pretty unusual, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, after going to – when I went to Shiat, it was like, you know, they were – TBWA Shiat Day is owned by, I think, Omnicom, right? I'm anyway, going to I'm going to pass on that question. It doesn't matter. I hate being They're wrong. all the same. So, uh they uh had split off media at that point in all the big agencies because sure, the holding this... companies wanted to make more money. Yeah, media was media was where the money came from. Creative so, not so much. So we would have ideas and then they'd be like, "Well, the media team already bought the media and here's what it is." And we'd be like, "What? How can you buy the media before you know what the idea is?" But that gave um, that gave you sort of fodder to come up with concepts based on. Yeah, it, it became part of the brief, which is yeah. is atypical. Sometimes. So you had to learn how to think differently. But Shia had made this thing called um, what were they? They were uh, they were uh, they were certain kind of planners. They were basically media planners that would uh, take the idea and put it into all the different you know and and. Work with the creatives too, yeah. Anyway. Now, was this before or after the very crazy no desks, no paper? It was after all that. So, Shia Day incarnation. Jay Shiat had created this uh, agency of the future down down in the um, kind of, seaport area. Yeah, uh, where you know you just got whatever desk you could. I think we talked you about had a, it with, you had a locker. A yeah, you had a locker. You had phones that you had to check in, uh, and you uh, had whatever desk you could get when you got there. So if you wanted a certain desk, you had to get there early. Um, it was way ahead of its time and probably just not really the kind of thing that humans like to do. So they changed it back to— Back to— But we still had the phones that people used— uh, they were fun. like these the, the like ba the wireless phones. phones that people would carry around. Mostly the account people and the planners and the um, not the planners the uh, the traffic people. 
Um, so that they could attempt to reach the creative people who <laughs> yes. didn't carry the phones. Well, we were told to carry phones, but none of us ever did. Yeah. Such bad boys. Yeah. We and, bad and, boys. and girls. Yeah, a few. Yeah. Uh, and uh, John, who was there? John Petrulis, uh, Scott Kaplan. Um, I worked for Dallas Itzen and Patrick um, O'Neill. Patrick O'Neill. Yeah. Uh, so they so were they were the creative directors at that time. They were the time. creative directors. Um, and, and this I seemed did, like uh, a real transitional time in the industry. Did it you, was, yeah. Did you feel that was a place you wanted to make home or did you continue to be restless? It felt very um, – we never got anything done. Like I would, I would just make – I felt like I just made decks, you know. It's a, we would just make decks of ideas and then – We'd bring them in to uh, present them, and then they wouldn't get bought. Or, you know, um, we had a few things that we did, but Josh left quite early, uh, and then I was there on my own working with with the other guys, and you know, just kind of stayed on uh, another two and a half years, and then went to uh, BBDO to work for Jerry Graff, where uh, <laughs> this is it was. I uh, love this story. This has great. come up in other podcasts. Yeah. Um, he he. He left me really quickly. <laughs> yeah, like I think he was already planning minutes. on it when he hired me. It was like six months, and then he was gone. Uh, but then I got to work for Eric Silver, so that was that was uh, that yeah, was cool what a, too. What a phenomenal experience! And yeah, those and two in a row. Did did working for people you admired that much influence how you did your job or what you some of the choices you made? I was sure I was going to get fired at any moment uh, when I was working for both of them um, because I didn't think I was. Good enough. Uh, I thought I'm oh, good enough. Tom, Tom, I'm good enough Tom. at the writing, but I'm not good enough at the like politics side. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to hang out with the the boss after hours. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to like have the funny comeback joke. Um, so it was. Uh, but I worked really hard at just trying to keep up with the great writers. Uh, Jim LeMate um, was is one of the best is. writers uh, I've ever seen. And I Where had to is Jim keep up now? with him. He's freelance. Fantastic. Yeah. He was, he was, he was one of our ago. favorite teachers who helped many of his students find find their, their place in the industry. He's so super he smart. Is, I have to interview him. One of these days, we'll have to we'll have to get him in here. Mm -hmm. Jim Lemaitre, would he be our first our first redhead? Probably. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we'll have to do that. Yeah. But you had you had spoken. I've heard you speak towards being abandoned somewhat. I'm I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. By by Jerry Graff and yes. in comes Eric Silver, who yes. came from Cliff Freeman. Yeah. Where they had their guys. Mm -hmm, Eric mm -hmm. was a loyalty guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how was that being? Kind of a, le a leftover from the last regime, so to speak. When when this loyalty guy yeah. comes in and he's bringing his people. So everyone else in the group got let go, except for me and my partner, uh, James Clooney. And then one day, Eric came into our offices and he put it. I was on the phone with my wife. He put a note on my desk. It said, uh, "You're going to Bill Bruce's group. It'll be okay." And I said, I have to go. I think I just got fired. <laughs> so, so even with uh, even without the bad mullet situ comb over situation, you were probably sweating at this point. Yeah, uh, he wanted to bring in more people, and I think he was just like, "Look, these guys are great. They're very nice." I think this is like a year into me being there, a year into him being there. 
maybe less. Um, and so I had to go through this period of like, oh my God. And, you know, he sort of, and uh, I, he's told me later on what I did, which I didn't remember uh, because I just did it. Because you of, blocked it out? I, I blacked out. I don't know. I went directly into his office. And, well, first I went into James's office and I said, what are, you, what are we going to do? He's like, I'm getting my book out there. And so uh, I'm like, okay, I should do that too, I guess. Uh, I go into, but I go into Eric's office and I say, look, you're making a mistake. I'm a good writer. I will work really hard for you. I'm, I, I can be one of the best. I, like I, I gave this wow. speech to like, and then I went home. And so I, he got, had I was no, so he listened, but did not say. Yeah, he was just like, okay, okay. And it was very like, and then I was like pissed, and I all weekend I was stewing and like how oh. I like how dare he and um, and then he called, and then I stayed home like that next day or two, just didn't go in. You I was just like, you know what, and... you know what, I'm not going in. Screw all of them. Like Bill Bruce doesn't even know I'm coming to his group. You know, it's like, ah, whatever. Uh, and then I got a call from Eric saying um, that he was keeping me on. And well, that uh, must have been quite a pivotal him, moment. I asked him later, what made you do that? And he's like, you told me to do that. So it's like, I guess the 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 uh, moral of that story is like, always just go in and say what you want to have happen. It may not happen, but it may. You know, well, the worst part is they can see it, it, then nothing will change. You've already been but... fired. Go in and, and say, like, I, I think well, it sure sounds like that's when you arrived. You really I think that was when I realized, like, I don't uh, I, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty good at this. You have value. And, and also having out. to fight for my supper there. There were so many good writers and art directors and teams there and, in his uh, group. And you were one of them. And having to, like, you know. Dan Kelleher and Aaron Adler and uh, all these guys and Scott Kaplan was there again uh, to fight them every second to get something into the meeting was uh, really, really – it taught me that I wasn't working half as hard as I needed to work. Um, and I didn't know that before. I thought like, oh, I have good ideas. But no, you can't just have good ideas. You have to have, have, to have lots and lots and ideas. lots of good ideas every day. Um, so, yeah. Am I being boring? Is this the most boring episode ever? It is I think the it might best be. episode ever. But I <sighs> want to know because you ended up out in the freelance world and created a brand for yourself. Yes. Which now I know where the name came from. Oh, yes. Mongo Industries. Mongo Industries from mm -hmm. your dad. Mm -hmm. And going from pretty stable job to stable job, you, yep. you know, it sounds like you built up the confidence to say, I want to go out into the world and mess around or you got laid off. I'm not sure which. No, it but was, how did, it how was, did that I, happen? I did actually quit uh, JWT. Uh, I saw the writing on the wall of like, well, Ty Montague had left Rosemary Ryan to start Co-Collective. I was at JWT after having worked at uh, Taxi and, and Cliff Freeman in between the BBDO thing. Uh, so and all really, really, really stellar great places. places. And you had gone... To JWT, I imagine, because of the leadership at that time. Ty and, and Rose were making that into a really cool place. And Ty, I love Ty's philosophy of don't say it, show it. Like, just do, just 
do things in the world. Don't just like make like you're doing things. Um, and so I was very into that. I got lucky enough to become an ECD there uh, running uh, Cadbury and Bloomberg, which we won. Uh, and then Ty left. So I – and then Kraft bought Cadbury. So I felt like everything was sort of about to change and my whole team had switched out. Um, and I was like, I'm not learning anything. I'm just going to have to go through <laughs> – I'm going to have to start over with new clients and do all of that again. I don't want to do that. At so, an agency that it sounds like you might not have gone to had, had yeah. things been the way they were. Yeah, but so. it was hard to quit my job because I was an ECD. I had two kids. Uh, you were mortgage. responsible. And uh, like I did see, but the the sort of the zeitgeist at the time was like all the best people were going freelance because they could because there was, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all these places where you could um, make your way. And, and Justin Genak had freelanced for me and he started uh, – he ends up starting Working Not Working, which at that time was just a Twitter bot that he had created for himself, which I thought was like – I'm like, oh, really? I really don't need a Twitter bot just to see if you're working or not working, Justin. Thanks, though. Yet somehow. Uh, so yet I would laugh somehow at him. maybe you did. But I was like, that's kind of cool that you have that. And, they, and it ends up becoming a, a huge thing, Working Not Working, that he still has to this day. But um, – I was like, I want to have fun like those guys are having fun because they were getting jobs everywhere, you know. It was a and good time for freelance. They were in great demand. Uh, this is 2011. So I quit and uh, they said, hey, can you just stay on for like six months and finish out what you're doing? And so we have a transitionary period. I'm like, yeah, please, because I get to – I was afraid of like, how am I, <laughs> I going to get a job tomorrow? Like they yeah, had asked me to leave that day. Freelance is a whole different mindset, isn't it? I think I would have been too scared. I would have been like, oh, God, no, wait. I don't want to quit. Uh, you would have um, You would have been just fine. But it was but... so fun. I, I learned so much about um, just personal toughness, you know, how you can be – how you can – you're going to be fine, Tom. You know, it's like – The, the I, freelance aspect of yeah. it, not the staying on for, for six more months. No, the freelance aspect of it. Like I, I learned so much in in going freelance, uh, how to get a job. Um, you know, I, I had these lists of um, – a, a freelancer that I had worked with at JWT uh, showed me how he did it. And he's like, you just make these lists. And I'm not going to name them because the last time I named but him – But what kind of, what kind of lists? Was, uh, you make a list of uh, headhunters and people you know who work in the industry and – uh, the uh, recruiters at agencies. So your 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 basic job job hunting strategies. And you you write them every uh, three weeks, and every person you you just you take them in bunches. When you don't have a day that you're working, you have to work four hours at getting a job. So like you have to work from nine in the morning until one in the afternoon at getting a job, and then you're done. And then you can go off and play video games or whatever you want to do. But you have to put in that four hours of like writing emails, responding to emails and all that stuff. But what did you say that, you know, I, I have to imagine that that this unnamed person was not the only person who made these lists and neither were you. So what was it? What was it that was unique to Tom Chrisman that, that uh, got you noticed above all? The other freelancers. I think the work and the reputation. The work and the reputation. Uh, and I was on Working Not Working and not a lot of other people were. Um, it was a very new thing. So I would send out. An exclusive. Out, 
I used uh, I used social media pretty well. I would I would put out things like Tom Chrisman's available. That's crazy, you know. I would just like put out these like Facebook posts like that. Um, so and, pro- I, and I blogged and I blogged about um, about I called it uh, We're All Freelance, and it was about how even if you have a job, you should. You should treat it like a freelance job because if you're not getting anything out of it, why are you doing it? You know, which so, I'm sure inspired a lot of people to possibly yeah. leave their jobs. Maybe uh, you know, if you're out there and you left your job and it was a mistake, I'm very sorry about that. Uh, oh, but uh, right. but no, it got picked so up nice by AdAge uh, and they used it as like a year of the freelancer thing, and they had an article on like top ten. Things you should do as a freelancer, written by Tom Crispin. So that got me a lot of press, and then you know. And it seems you've carried on in that tradition of yeah. of creating creating content, for lack of a better word. Uh, this podcast is creating uh, content that includes advice from your own experiences. Yeah. Now, what kind of what kind of advice would you give someone now, as 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 someone who is a creative director and a partner? Yeah. Um, so you're pretty solidly, solidly grounded where you are. Mm-hmm. What would you, would you advise people to go freelance? Would you? Oh, you can't go freelance until you have a reputation and a base for people to say, hey, that guy's good or that girl's good. And I know that they're going to do well. So if you're new, um, just get any job you can and work really hard. Um, don't wait for, uh, the jobs to come find you, go make things and put them into the world. Um, blog every day, write every day. Write every day. That's an important one. Um, and get people uh, to start knowing you for your thinking. Um, and be yourself. Don't try to be Eric Silver. Don't try to be uh, your favorite creative guy. Be yourself. And if that means you love Dungeons and Dragons, then, you know, make that then, part of then your own thing. That. Uh, if that means you speak Mandarin, make that part of your thing. You know, it's, it's, um, you have skills that no one else has. You have a, you have a, a, a bunch of skills together that is totally unique and you should, you know, lean on that and, and go into that. Uh, if you come from a blue-collar town, and you didn't grow up with money. Use that. Make that part of your thing. Is is that um, part of your thing? Yeah, I think my uh, my uh, I think that taught me to be okay with whatever I got and to sort of you know work hard um, and to uh, yeah, I think that is part of my thing. What 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 else is part of your thing? What what uh, what what do you um, think defines you fairness, in, a, in a unique way? Fairness, um, uh, honesty. Um, I think uh, being able to inspire people and sort of get groups of people together to do crazy things uh, like the bowling just, league. Or, yeah, I was you know. just going to say not just within the industry because when I think of your entree into the the freelance world, mm-hmm. part of what I think of Tom Chrisman being as sort of a social director yeah. that brought together a lot of great people who probably needed, yeah. needed an outlet other than advertising, though I imagine you talked about advertising plenty, but you had the bowling league. What else? What, what other... 
Just uh, in general, just kind of like I, I th I'm a big believer in like networking and going out and 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 meeting people and being good at small talk and being okay in. I was super anxious as a in in college and high school uh, socially, and anybody that knows me then would would know that. Uh, I had I, I had social anxiety disorder um, until probably until I shaved my head. Probably I think that was part of it. So you're you're advocating um, that everyone should shave their head? <laughs> or, yeah, something. No, but what do what something. advice would you give? Because I do think you have to go. There you, is a huge challenge coming from yeah. coming from being a kid in the world, basically, to being a grown up, yeah. to being a professional, and to be able to. You know, yeah, you've got to walk the walk, but you do in this business have to talk the talk. What other than shaving one's head might be <laughs> might be a good way for young people getting into the business or even not so young people who are perhaps yeah. making career changes yeah. to to speak the lingo, to get over that anxiety. Are there any any tips you have for them? Whatever your fear is, I would say just like go right at it. Just conquer it. You know, uh, my Whatever your problem is, figure out a way to fix it. Um, and um, yeah, just just don't don't be afraid. It's going to be okay, you know. Yeah, that's, I like, I like that. Face your fear, or or shave your head. Yeah, right. That was that was my answer. One to or it, one right? or the it's other. Like, okay, this hair has become a real issue. <laughs> I'm going to shave it. So yeah, it, it may have been an issue before that. Yeah, who but knew? It, it's good that Richard Kirschenbaum of the Great Golden Locks. <laughs> That's right. It was, was, was able to help that you he, make that. That yeah. That that, that he that, would be the that one. Change. Here's here's sort of a last question because yeah. I always think of you not only as you know a terrific writer, kind of art director, mm -hmm. creative thinker, but I always really think of you as a dad. Mm -hmm. Would you encourage your kids to follow in your footsteps in this industry? Oh yeah. What and and what kind of advice would you give them? Um. Gosh, what what kind of advice would I give them? I know that's a, that's, that's a broad question. They're surely listening. Um, I would say uh, be nice and work hard, and um, that's great advice. That's it. In in an industry filled with people who I I know we've we've all experienced who have not always been very nice. No, and I think in in my experience, the people who have impacted me the most, and hopefully you the most. Yeah. We're the people who. This is a great industry, and it's full of uh, super great people, and it's the most fun you can have, uh, and still be working. Um, and I think to be in this industry is such a privilege. Um, you want to learn from everybody that you're around, uh, and you want to uh, not worry. Don't don't have an ego. That's the biggest thing. Is like don't. If you're if you're leading with your ego, you're wrong. So just uh, well, I think we've all seen plenty of that, that, and I imagine that's advice you also give to young creatives yeah. that that are not your children mm -hmm. coming into the business. Yeah. Uh, if there's one other piece of advice, and we can we can wrap up with this because mm -hmm. I know it will be a gem. If there's one <laughs> oh, other piece of advice you can give to young people coming into the industry, mm -hmm. perhaps people who like you are struggling to get in, are yeah. needing to improve themselves, or are not potentially 
already where they want to be, what 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 would you recommend that they do or look at or think about? I think they should take a class at Ad House for sure. Well, that was just a phenomenal answer. But besides taking a class at Ad House, uh, um, which which I highly recommend, please do so, <laughs> www.adhousenyc.com. Yeah, that's the correct ad, uh, URL. I don't often um, use the uh, but, correct But, you know, URL. obviously you need to you need to use your resources to to well, to learn things. I think it's easy for all of us to forget of the history of the business. So it's um, go back and learn all the history you can. Um, and part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to to remind people that there are people out there that have done all of this before you. And you can just go back and look at the stuff they did. Uh, and there's so much. Find it. Like, go out and look at the annuals. Go go to the uh, canlion.com uh, and, and get as many of those as you can. Go to a library and get an old communication arts. Um, go see what's been done before because it's all the same stuff that we're doing now. It's just different technology. So, you know, uh, if, you, if you can do uh, – take 1984 and put it into Snapchat. You know, it's like you can do that now and no one will know what you're doing because it will be a completely different thing. Um, just take the essence of of those things and, and try them out. Um, you'll be so far ahead of everybody else because everybody else is trying to make a new thing. And you can't make a new thing. So learn it's from history. Done. Yeah. It's all been done. And then, back like and, you said before, do it, do it in your really voice hard. and your way. Yeah. And uh, – and continue to tune in to uh, the A-List podcast. Absolutely. Subscribe. Learn, subscribe to the A-List podcast uh -huh. on iTunes. Yeah. Um, and you will enjoy the, the, the wonderful interviews that, that our host, Tom Christman, typically does. Thank you for, thank you so much for, for taking the other seats. This is why I do the to the asking, because I am boring as, as, as all hell. Oh, don't say that. We uh, love you. I'm sure that we have all... And then... We've all gotten thing. some wisdom, or at least a good laugh, out of out of this session. Yeah, and uh, and it, it does lead to your advice. Learn from those who've come before you, and and we've really been lucky to have some greats. And I feel very lucky to have to have been able to take the time to to interview one of my heroes in the business, Aww. Tom Crispin. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening, everybody. 